Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. There's many places we could be on this morning, but we've chosen to come into your holy presence to sing holy, 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 to bow our knees before a sovereign God. And as we sang earlier, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God who is exalted in heaven. Lord, we know that your name is not holy in our world. Your name is profaned all over the place. We know that your kingdom seems like it's trying to be thwarted by people that are against you. And all over the place, we see people not doing your will. But Lord, that does not stop you from accomplishing your purposes in our lives and in our world. And so Lord, help us to be a people that are holy because you are holy. Let us bow before you as our sovereign God. Let us live lives that magnify the name of our Lord. And we pray this all in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said together, amen. You may be seated this morning. I do want to extend a special um, and welcome to those that are on live stream. I sometimes forget that there are about 40% of our church congregation that's still watching on live stream. And so we want to welcome those of you that have joined us this morning. So let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to begin this morning with a question, but please don't answer the question out loud. The question is, what is your favorite hymn, or what's your favorite praise song? Now don't answer it out loud, but here's the thing, what's that hymn, or what's that praise song that you find yourself singing or humming unconsciously, and you don't even know why, it's just, it always just comes out. It would be interesting to do a poll this morning. Go around this entire sanctuary and up in the balcony and ask each of you what is your favorite hymn or what's your favorite praise song. Now, we're not going to do that for the sake of time, but it would be very interesting to see what everybody's favorite song would be. You know, God has made us to enjoy music, to sing, to praise Him. And growing up, we would have Sunday night worship services. I know those are things of the past, but growing up in Texas, we would have Sunday night worship service. And sometimes we would have these hymn sings. And the minister of music would ask from the congregation, yell out a hymn that we can sing, and the pianist was always ready to go with whatever hymn it was. And of course, there was Great is Thy Faithfulness and Amazing Grace and Standing on the Promises and the Solid Rock and In the Garden and how great thou art. But as a little kid in the 70s and 80s, I always wanted to play like the prankster. So in 1975, they came out with the new Baptist hymnal. Okay, the new Baptist hymnal. And it was a, it was a pretty modern thing in 1975. Now, in 1970, there was a new hymn that came out. And this hymn was based upon the space race and the astronauts landing on the moon. Does anybody want to know what this hymn's called? The hymn is called God of Earth and Outer Space. 
And so every time there was a hymn sing, I would always say, God of earth and outer space. Now, nobody's heard of that song, have they? Of that hymn? That's actually in the Baptist hymnal. Now let me give you the lyrics to God of earth and outer space. It's a great, wonderful product of its time. Are you ready? Here we go. The, the, the hymn that's lasted the test of time. God of earth and outer space, God of love and God of grace, bless the astronauts who fly as they soar beyond the sky. God who flung the stars in space, God who set the sun ablaze, fling the spacecrafts through the air, let man know your presence is there. God of earth and outer space. Now, next week we'll sing God of earth and outer space. Um, it's definitely a product of its time. It's not like Amazing Grace or How Great Thou Art, but it was funny because the music minister would always humor me, like, okay, hymn 456, God of Earth and Outer Space, and the pianist would be like, I've never heard this before, but we'll go with it. So, God of Earth and Outer Space. Now, there are some modern songs that we can think of that have immediately become popular and have stood the test of time. I can think of a modern hymn that's probably going to stand the test of time that's in Christ alone. That's a hymn that's modern, that's probably going to be one of those that's going to last for a long time. And so God has made us to love music. And, and so there are some hymns that are really famous, like Amazing Grace, and there's some very obscure ones like God of Earth and Outer Space. Well, today, Luke introduces us to the first of four songs that are, we're going to see in the Gospel of Luke over the next few weeks. The first song is called Mary's Magnificat, the Magnificat. It's one of the most powerful hymns because it's actually scripture and it comes from the mouth of Mary herself. Last week, what did we see? Gabriel, the angel, appears to Mary and tells her that she's going to bear the Messiah through the miraculous virgin birth. And I'm so amazed at the faith of Mary. I'm still amazed at her her surrender to the Lord that we saw last week, that absolute trust, no questioning, no negotiating. And the question we asked last week was this, do you trust Jesus for everything in your life? See, here's the reality. The more you know God's word, the more you know God, and the more you know God, the more you want to praise God and the more you want to live for him and serve him you see you'll never truly live for Jesus until you learn more about who he is from his word and learning oftentimes comes through singing through the songs of the faith that we've been raised with and so this morning we're going to see Mary's song but before we get to her song she goes and visits her relative Elizabeth. So let's pick up in chapter 1, verse 39. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. This is more just an encounter between these two women discussing their miraculous pregnancies. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that's John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from 
the Lord. So Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. John the Baptist leaps in her womb. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful um, conversation between these two women. And Elizabeth tells Mary, you're blessed among women. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then Mary begins to sing this wonderful song that we call the Magnificat. So let's read this song together, and hopefully in your Bible it looks like the Psalms. It doesn't look like prose, but it's, it's got, it looks like the Psalms. It looks like a song. So here we go, verse 46. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's looked on my humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Most scholars believe that Mary may have sung this song with an Old Testament open on her lap. We have to remember, she's a young Jewish girl who's grown up immersed in the Old Testament scriptures. And she probably had many of these psalms memorized. She probably had the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel 2 memorized. And the reason why is because so much of this song that erupts from her heart is just pure Old Testament scripture. She's just oozing out with scripture back to the Lord. Which is a very good reminder to us. Let me just ask you a question. How much Bible is in you? How saturated are you in the Bible? How much is God's word stored up in you so that when you talk back to God, you're talking back his word to him? You're singing back his word to him. You're praying back his word to him. Paul tells us in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's interesting how Paul ties scripture saturation to singing. How well is God's word dwelling in your heart? Are you meditating on God's word? Are you memorizing God's word? Are you studying God's word? Is it sinking down in your heart and mind? How are we training our children in God's word? You know, children learn a lot by singing. It's how children learn. They learn by songs. I can't tell you how many hymns I've got stuffed in my head growing up because we sang them all the time. Is your house a singing house? Parents, let me give you a good resource. Seeds of Praise. Seeds of Praise. You can get their songs on iTunes. You can go to Seeds of Praise. We use them on Wednesday nights here. Um, our family likes to listen to them. It's just scripture put to song. It's actually scriptures. 
It'll give you the scripture verse and it's kids singing with great music, seeds of praise. It's a wonderful way to get your family singing the word of God. Now, what's the main point of Mary's hymn? What's the overall thrust of what she's singing? It's this. Here's the main point for this morning. We should humbly magnify God because of his mercy and power. Two words I want us to focus on. Humbly magnify. Humbly magnify. We're going to look at what those words mean. What does it mean to magnify? What does it mean to magnify God? And what does it mean to be humble? Those are two issues that just emerge from her song. Now, this hymn is divided up into two parts. Here's part one. God's mercy to the humble. We see this in verses 46 through 50. God's mercy to the humble. Now, why is this hymn called the Magnificat? Why is it called the Magnificat? Well, because in Latin, the very first word is magnify. So the word magnify in Latin is Magnificat. And so that's how Mary starts the song. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord magnifies. Now, what does it mean to magnify? Think about a magnifying glass. You make something bigger than it is. Now, here's a question. Do, do we make God bigger than he already is? No, God is big. God is awesome. God is powerful. We magnify God when we choose to acknowledge how wonderful he truly is. It's, it's, it's interesting here what Mary does. She just found out that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, and what does she do? Does she draw attention to herself? Does she puff herself up? Does she say, I'm so great, I get to be the, the mother of the Messiah. Does she, anywhere in this hymn, draw attention to herself? No, the first thing out of her mouth is, I'm going to magnify the Lord. I'm going to choose to give God the glory. God is the subject of every verb in this song. And so her primary aim is to magnify, to consciously acknowledge the greatness, the bigness, the glory, the majesty of God, and to put Jesus first and to find in Jesus our ultimate satisfaction. To magnify means you're choosing to say, Jesus, you are first. You are ultimate. I'm going to live my life with you as my ultimate treasure. Now, Mary sings here from her soul and from her spirit. My soul magnifies the Lord, there in verse 46. Verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, my soul and my spirit. Now, these are synonyms for the same thing. The Bible often uses synonyms to talk about the same thing. Your heart, your soul, your spirit, your mind, that the inner self the most popular word the Bible uses over a thousand times is the word heart, your heart. So I want you to think about your heart this morning for a moment. And this may be a sermon series for another day, but I want you to think about the depths of your heart. The depths of your heart do three things. Your heart describes what you know, what you feel, and what you choose. When you break down the inner self, the heart, it's what you know, 
what you feel, and what you choose. Okay, so let's think about Mary here. If she's singing from the depths of her heart, what does she know? Well, she knows a lot about the Old Testament. She knows a lot about her God. What does she feel? Well, she feels joy. She feels excitement. She feels a passion here. What does she choose to do? She chooses out of that knowledge and out of that emotion to magnify the Lord. So your heart knows things, your heart feels things, and your heart chooses things. And so what does she do? She chooses to magnify the Lord. Psalm 34, 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Habakkuk 3.18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Now, it's interesting. Notice in verse 47, she acknowledges God as her Savior, as her Savior, which is very interesting because she's going to bear the Savior, the long-awaited Messiah. Now, she gives two reasons why she's magnifying the Lord. In verse 48, you see a four there. Four. Now, I magnify the Lord. I'm rejoicing the Lord. Why? Here's reason number one. Four, he's looked upon the humble estate of his servant. He's looked upon Mary's humble estate. Now, remember, we talked about Mary last week. She's a common girl. She's not of nobility. She's a rural young woman, probably 13 or 14, from Nazareth, a town that nobody's heard of, the backside of nowhere. And she is this, this young humble girl who says, God, why would you choose me to be the mother of Jesus? All generations will call her blessed. Now, let me just talk a minute here because sometimes we as evangelical Protestants get a little nervous when we start talking about Mary. Now, why do we do that? Well, because Roman Catholics kind of take it to an extreme where they make Mary the co-redeemer. People pray to Mary. Uh, she's a dispenser of grace. They have a whole, they've almost elevated Mary to the level of Jesus. And, and obviously we don't want to do that, but I don't want us as Protestants to, to miss here the importance of who Mary is. You cannot get over the fact that out of the entire world, she's the one person that God chose to give birth to Jesus. And she's the one person that had the virgin birth. So she is very special. Not to be venerated, not to be worshipped, but she is blessed. But remember last week, what did Gabriel the angel say to her? You're highly favored. And we looked at that word favored. It means God has showered her with sovereign grace. She's a recipient of sovereign grace. It's undeserved grace. It's unexpected grace. It's divine grace. So Mary says from the very beginning, the Lord has looked upon me with grace. She acknowledges that she herself is a sinner in need of a Savior. She's humbly acknowledging that she is in need of grace. The Lord has looked upon my humble estate, for behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed. Not blessed because she was all that, not blessed because she deserved it, but blessed because God showed her sovereign grace. Now let me just ask you a question. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, has God shown you sovereign grace? Yes. Are you, do, you ever, do you ever stop dead in your tracks and just thank the Lord that he saved you when he didn't have to? None of us here deserves one bit of salvation, love, grace, mercy, but God chose to do it because he loved us. Never get over the fact that God has shown you sovereign 
grace the way he showed Mary sovereign grace. All of us are saved by grace alone when we deserved wrath and hell and justice. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. So Mary says, I'm magnifying the Lord because of his grace. He showered me with grace. I'm humble. I realize I don't deserve this mercy. So she's praising God for showing her mercy. She's humbling herself. Now, the second reason why she magnifies the Lord is in verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Okay, so now she's praising God for his might and his holiness. What has she just been told? That she's going to be overshowered by the Holy Spirit who's going to cause this virgin birth. Only the power and might of God can accomplish this. So the first reason she magnifies the Lord is because of his grace. The second reason is because of his power, his might. Deuteronomy 10, 21. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. These great and terrifying things. Psalm 24, 8. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. He's mighty. Zephaniah 3, 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So one of the amazing things about Mary's song here is that she rehearses or she goes over all of the attributes of God that she knows from the Old Testament. God is mighty. God is powerful. God is holy. God is merciful. God is gracious. He's all these things at once. Now we can't begin to understand this. Our feeble minds can't really put together all that God is. Stop and think about that, all that God is. We can't begin to think that he's absolutely holy, and yet at the same time, he would dare come and love us. He's absolutely righteous, but he shows us mercy and compassion. How do these things come together in God? We cannot explain it, but we worship him. And then in verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy. Now, it's interesting because you've been in Emmanuel for a long time, some of you, and I'm going to test you this morning. What's the Old Testament Hebrew word for steadfast love? And don't spit on your neighbor because of social distancing. What is it? Hesed. Hesed. I can do it because there's some distance up here. Hesed. The word mercy that... Mary uses there is the almost the it's the Greek equivalent of the Old Testament Hebrew word hesed. So she's talking about God's hesed here, his mercy. Psalm 103, 2 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good that your youth is renewed like 
eagles. He satisfies you with his steadfast love and mercy. But what does she say there in verse 50? His mercy is for those who fear him. Those who fear him. Now what does it mean to fear God? Does that mean that we shake in our boots and we're afraid he's going to hit us with a lightning bolt? No, that's not what it means. It means to have a proper respect and honor and appreciation. We bow before him in humility. Psalm 33, 8 through 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Stand in awe. So what is Mary's point up to this point in the hymn? God is merciful. God is mighty. God is powerful. God is gracious. God is holy. What should we do? We magnify him. We fear him. We serve him. We exalt him in humility. Now part two, if God gives grace to the humble, What's God's disposition or attitude towards the proud? God opposes the proud. So in verses 51 through 55, there's a contrast. If God gives grace to the humble, he opposes the proud. So here's the main point of the second section. God gives grace to the powerless, but opposes the proud. So what what do we see here? Let's, let's, Let's look. Verse 51. He's shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He scattered the proud. That comes from Psalm 68, verse 1. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. Now, Mary lists three types of pride here. Three types of pride. Okay, verse 51, pride of intellect. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Those that think that they're, those that think they know it all. Those that are taking pride in their knowledge and their intellect. Those that think they've got it all together. Those that are that are prideful in what they know. Okay, verse fifty-two. Those that are in high positions. God opposes the pride of those in high positions. Notice what He says in verse fifty-two. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones, kings and those in high positions. God's brought down those that are elevating their position. And then in verse 53, those that are trusting in wealth as their security. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. God scatters the pride full. You know, pride is very deceitful. It's a very dangerous enemy. We're, we're often not even aware that pride is lurking in our hearts. Psalm 138, 6. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. The haughty, those that are prideful, those that elevate themselves, those that puff up themselves. Proverbs 3, 34. Toward the scorners, he's scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. To the and then Proverbs 29, 23, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Okay, I'm going to stand up and be at the front of the line. I struggle with pride. I struggle with pride. I often feel entitled. 
that I should get my way. I'm often impatient with others that aren't as smart as I am or as capable as I am or as good-looking as I am. And some of you are laughing at that. I think the world revolves around me a lot. I had a, I had a t-shirt my parents got me when I was growing up. This is how prideful I was. My parents got me a t-shirt. It was from the old Mac Davis song. Some of you, this will date you. Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. That was what the t-shirt said. Let me give you the, the lyrics to the song for some of you that know these golden oldies. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. Okay? Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. That was the motto I lived by as a child. That My parents got the t-shirt for me. That's kind of stuck with me as I've grown up. Pride. John Stott has said this. At every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, listen to what he says. Pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. Pride's the greatest enemy. Humility's the greatest friend. Jonathan Edwards said this. Pride is the worst viper that's in the heart and the greatest disturber of the soul's peace and sweet communion with Christ, the most hidden, secret, and deceitful of all lusts. It's a viper deep in your heart. It's an enemy. And then Charles Spurgeon called pride a brainless thing as well as a groundless thing. It brings no profit with it. There is no wisdom in self-exaltation. It's a brainless viper that lurks deep in your heart and oftentimes we're not even aware it's there. And how does God respond to those that are prideful? He brings them low. He opposes the proud. Listen to what James says. Russell, our elder, read this earlier in our time of confession, but let's just read it again. James 4, 6 through 10. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. James says it. Peter says it. Mary sings it. It's a biblical truth. Mary realizes something in her prayer. For those that have come to the end of their rope and realize that they are weak and they are powerless and they are undeserving and they cry out for mercy... God gives grace. But for those who continue in pride and those who continue in self-exaltation and those who continue to be self-sufficient and to puff themselves up, God opposes them and brings them low. J.C. Ryle said this, humility is the highest grace that can adorn Christian character. A man has just as much Christianity as he has humility. Or a woman. A man or a woman has just as much Christianity as he has humility. Jesus will say this later on in Luke 14, 11. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
my former pastor used to say this, better to humble yourself now than to be humiliated later. Better to humble yourself now than to be humiliated later. And then in verses 54 and 55, Mary focuses on the nation of Israel. He has helped to serve in Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Okay, who's Abraham's offspring? Who is Abraham's offspring? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians 3.16. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So who's Abraham's offspring? Christ. And us. Galatians 3.29. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So Mary's song takes all of the attributes of God from the Old Testament and she just sings them back to him. But I want you to remind, I remind you of something. This is all in reference to the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of Christ in the flesh. So without Jesus coming, we would not fully know who God is. If all we had was the Old Testament, that would be good, but we would not know the fullness of who God is without Jesus. What did Jesus say about himself in John 14, 9? This is when they asked him the way. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So Mary magnifies the Lord. Mary says to the Lord, you've been faithful, you've been gracious, you've been merciful, you've been mighty, you've been holy, you've been powerful. I'm humbling myself under you. I do not deserve to give birth to the Messiah, so I'm humbling myself under your hand, Heavenly Father. Think about all the ways God has been powerful and mighty for you. Think of all the ways God has been merciful to you. Think of all the ways God has been strong with his outstretched arm to you. Think of all the ways God has filled you with good things. So how do you respond? from the depth of your heart and the depth of your soul, do you magnify the Lord? Do you rejoice in the Lord? Here's a question. Do you want Jesus to be magnified in your life? Or do you want to be magnified in your life? It's a dumb question, Sean. Obviously it's Jesus. It's always Jesus, right? That's the Sunday school answer. It's always Jesus, right? We can sit here and say, I want Jesus to be magnified in my life, but when we walk out those doors, how do we live? We live on the throne and we want to be magnified. Do you elevate Jesus or do you elevate yourself? You see, you can respond in one of two ways this morning. 
You can magnify yourself and have God oppose you because you're prideful. Or you can humble yourself in gratitude before God and you can magnify Him and in due time He will exalt you. One of the best verses of Scripture about humility comes from the lips of none other than John the Baptist. In John chapter 3, verse 30, you know this. What did John the Baptist say? He must increase but I must decrease. Is that the desire of your heart? Are you so overwhelmed with grace and gratitude and joy in your salvation that you would want to live your life with Jesus ever increasing and you ever decreasing? So my prayer for all of us this week is that we would sing or shout or live or say what Mary said in verses 46 and 47. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Your heart tells you what you know. It tells you what you feel and it tells you what you choose. Okay, your head's been filled with knowledge this morning. You know truth. And maybe your heart's been warmed to these truths, and maybe not, but ultimately where the rubber meets the road is what you're going to choose to do in light of what you know and what you feel. Will you choose to live a life that elevates Jesus where he's ever increasing, and you are humbly walking in gratitude towards him and ever decreasing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning and let that be the cry of our heart to magnify the Lord this week. Father, we come before you and we're thankful for your grace in our lives. And Lord, we struggle with pride so easily. It is a viper. It's a brainless thing. It's an enemy. We want to magnify ourselves. We want to elevate ourselves. So would we this week, would we live lives where Jesus, you're ever increasing and we're ever decreasing. Where you're the one being magnified and we're the ones that are being lowered. We're the ones that are being humble. And Lord, any time that we feel like we're in charge or we want to be in the driver's seat or we want to be the ones in control, Holy Spirit, would you show us that that's a sin? And would you reveal that pride deep in our hearts and help us by your grace to be humble to be lowly, to be dependent, to be powerless, to be like Mary, who knew that without the intervention of a sovereign God in her life, she would be nothing. Lord, without your sovereign intervention in our lives, we would be nothing. So we trust you this week, Lord.
We want to magnify you this week. May we leave this place with hearts that are filled with joy, minds that are filled with truth, that lead to choices that are honoring to you in how we live. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen.